The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hey, this is Matt Landry, the voice of Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars The Clone Wars. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars. This is where the fun begins. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 159. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hi, I'm Robert King, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away. From movies to books, TV shows, and more, we're looking at the deeper themes and meanings found in Star Wars. Today, we're talking about The Bad Batch, Episode 11 of Season 2. It's called Metamorphosis. Joining me today on the panel are Catherine Lafferty. Hi, Catherine. Hi, how are you? Doing well. And we also have John Coral. How's it going, John? I'm going well. It's good to have you. So here we are back with the Bad Batch. And uh, I'll do a quick uh, summary for those who uh, like their spoilers up front. Um, Episode 11 starts with a clone commando racing through the corridors of a damaged transport from something scary. And then we cut away from the something scary to a similar undamaged transport arriving at Mount Tantus, where a certain Dr. Royce Hemlock comes out and tries to convince an imprisoned Nala Say to help with the Emperor's cloning research. But she refuses, because we like Nala Say. Meanwhile, our team leader, Sid, tries to assign the Bad Batch to recover the cargo from this damaged transport, and they grudgingly agree. They find the transport now stranded on a planet near a village, and they discover that the cargo is a cloned Zillow beast, which grows exponentially as it feeds on more energy. The Batch try to stop it from destroying the village, but an Imperial fleet arrives to capture it, and to capture the villagers as well, and that forces the Batch to flee. But at least they have the data from the transport's computer. Back to Mount Tantis, where Dr. Hemlock brings in Lama Su to help him persuade Nala Say. And Lama Su suggests that Omega is the key to getting Nala Say to cooperate. And that's where we leave it on this dramatic note of, I don't know, betrayal, perhaps? It's, it's a lot going on. And um, I think the first thing to talk about is that hey, we've been talking about The Mandalorian for a few weeks, and now we're back on The Bad Batch. Now, we did this because Disney Plus decided to uh, drop The Mandalorian in the middle of The Bad Batch season, and knowing that there were probably going to be a lot more viewers following The Mandalorian, we decided to follow those episodes uh, as they were airing. And uh, now we're coming back to catch up on The Bad Batch. Um, But it's interesting because we have spent the first part of The Bad Batch season having our podcasts, recording our podcasts uh, as the episodes dropped. And now um, the whole season's out. Um, And so have you guys, I've, I've seen all of the rest of the season, so I know what's coming now. Have you guys seen the rest of the season or are you sort of watching it in podcast order. No, I couldn't stop watching it. <laughs> it's too fun to like, let it go. It was like our, our weekly thing to do. So had to watch it all. Yeah. So yes, I, yeah. I did see it all. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was my first episode sent back since the Mandalorian. So I haven't seen any since then. I mean, I've heard oh. some comments 
<laughs> from people that I'm trying not to do too much spoiler stuff, but um, but I will probably watch the rest later this week to, now that the Mandalorian's done. But so, but yeah, this is still kind of new to me. I, I will say, yeah, it's um, I had a hard time not watching the rest of the Bad Batch as quickly as I could myself. You've got a fun ride ahead of you, John. But Catherine, I suppose we should try to keep some spoilers out from, you know, so that we don't we don't we don't ruin it for John. Yeah, we won't tell him about Darth Vader. I mean, <laughs> yeah, kidding. and, and definitely, <laughs> definitely not how Han Solo becomes Omega's best friend. Um, <laughs> yeah, OK, none of that actually happens. Um, no. There's actually like this is a really simple episode in a lot of ways, um, sort of this framing narrative. And then you've got the action in the middle and and uh, it's really exciting. But I wanted to talk about that, that cold open um, for for just a moment, because it did a thing that I particularly like and I'd love to get your feedback on it. Um, it took an enemy, a bad guy, this clone commando who is like worse than the rest of the, you know, they're more powerful and stronger than the the rest of the clones and, and is definitely loyal to the empire. And it made him the hero of this. Like he's, he's, or rather the victim. Um, victim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, for me anyway, it, it got me to sympathize with the clone commando in a way that I haven't normally done. Um, usually it's easy to see them as, oh, they're bad guys, they're cannon fodder, shoot them down. But I was like genuinely connected to this anonymous clone commando. Um, I don't know. What did you guys think about that opening scene and the way they opened the episode? It was a great opening as far as like feeling like a monster horror flick. So it kind of, you know, gave you, you know, that familiar feel of aliens and stuff like that. So I liked, I liked that cold opening like that. I didn't have much sympathy for the trooper because I had a funny feeling they were up to no good to begin with. So <laughs> I had more sympathy for the poor little uh, uh, medical droid that was discovered later. <laughs> oh, yeah. Danger. <laughs> Danger. <laughs> um i mean i yeah i i like the tension it built and stuff because you know like it did feel like a horror flick kind of with the you know running down the hallway by himself and hearing the noises in the background and then just being like snatched away and you know that and of course having an issue with that electro staff or whatever and uh (laughs) it kind of made it i mean it added some tension and then Later, you know, then in the next, well, then when the Bad Batch get the call, it, it really builds up then, okay, this isn't going to be as easy as they think because we know something they don't, <laughs> you know. Yeah, there's a, is it Omega who says, you know, how hard can it be recovering a little cargo? Right. Yeah. It's nothing to looting a ship. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, yeah, we've done this before. Yeah. So then we get to Mount Tantus and this is, this is like the the framing for the whole episode is, uh, you know, shenanigans on Mount Tantus. And, uh, and I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first time we've met Dr. Hemlock, who, whose name is definitely not a, a sign of how bad he is or anything. And I'm sure Hemlock yeah. is just a, just normal family name. <laughs> it's a cute little innocent flower, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty little flower. Nothing wrong with hemlock. <laughs> yeah, the weird thing was, is the whole time I watched it, I was like, why does he seem so familiar? Like, I could have sworn he had appeared in earlier episodes or somewhere in Clone Wars. I was going through things going, he's got to be in there. And when I, you know, look at Wikipedia and they say, no, his first appearance was this episode. I was like, really? Because he just seems so familiar. I, I thought he looked kind of familiar too, but then... Depending on the angle that they showed him, I thought he kind of almost looked like, um, you know, like a clone, you know, with the the haircut and stuff like that. And I was just one, you know, and facial features. So, so I was wondering if maybe I was just thinking him as a, you know, t- standard kind of clone as, you know, even though he's not. But I mean, 
that's because I'm like, he does look familiar, but who does? It was interesting because I rewatched um, all of the Bad Batch up to this point. Well, just the mm-hmm. season up to this point, just because I wanted to get back into the groove of it again. And the only other character that looks like him is the oldest boy from that mining operation episode. They both hmm. have the little scar in the eyebrow about the same shaped face. I just hope they weren't just reusing some CGI data to create Hemlock, you know. But it's just like, wow, you know, is it his dad? Did his dad ditch him? I don't know. I <laughs> know uh, it. It is a it is a pretty effective character design, and the the voice is very um, well. Not to get too much ahead of ourselves, but it, the voice was kind of like the the same approach taken to uh to Grand Admiral Thrawn, you know, very scary severe character with a very quiet sort of understated voice um and uh little hint of Tarkin in there too. I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. Kind of, this is a theme that maybe goes all the way back to Tarkin. Um yeah, it kind of gives you a, a sense of real creepy evil in the character. And and he tries so hard to sound reasonable, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, it's good to see Nalise again, even if she's in prison. Um, and I loved her principled stance. I loved that she was just, you know, was like, <laughs> you'll find it difficult to... <laughs> You know, how did she put it? I didn't write it down, but it was something like, you know, I find it hard to to uh, be interested in my old work, you know, now that the Empire has destroyed my entire civilization or something. And she looked like physically destroyed herself. And especially going back and rewatching, you see her early on, especially when she's with Omega in like early episodes of season one. And she's just like this tall standing Camino and women. And it's like, oh, then you see her in the prison and she looks a little, little thinner and definitely mm-hmm. a little heavier head, you know, kind of sagging down. Yeah. And one thing, too, I saw was it seemed like she had a little flicker of surprise in her eye when he said, you know, well, your research still is around, but <laughs> mm-hmm. even if your city isn't. And then there's just a slight flicker. It seemed like she was like a little surprised, like, oh, and then, then of course, then uh, the doctor explains that it's for a greater purpose, the emperor's purpose. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That was interesting. He said it's been a while. So he has worked with her before. So it seems. So it seems. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I'm not entirely sure this is the first time we've met him. But. But yeah, I, I I didn't see any other credits for him. So, well, I mean, this jumps ahead some too. But you know, when um when Omega says she knew of other cloning things, but they were off world. So perhaps uh-huh. you know that's how you know he was the off world cloning doctor or something maybe that worked with her somehow. And so it wouldn't be in the credits, but it would be you know he, that would have been his, perhaps his contact. Yeah, it 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 occurs to me that they're they're like they are both of them like trying to claim a higher purpose for their actions, and uh, and Doctor Hemlock is claiming the Emperor's purpose is a greater purpose. It's a greater good, and she's like, well, you took away the the greater good that I knew of. You know, my civilization, my people, my, you know, the whole way of life that we had, you know, you've destroyed what, and, you know, he seems to find inspiration in, in striving toward a greater good that, you know, we all know is not actually good, but she seems to find strength in the thought that, like, you've taken away all of the good that there is. And you can't take anything else away from me. You have no leverage over me. And I, I, I just think like from an ethical point of view, it's like what, what motivates us to the good is, and um, I don't know we're still in the Easter season. And so I'm thinking about, 
how the resurrection like motivated the early apostles and the early disciples to go out without fear of what anyone else would do to them. Um, and it's almost like there's a combination of the two. Like we've got, we know that Christ rose from the dead, right? And so we have a, a greater good, but we also know that, you know, you can no longer threaten us with death. Like the, the, the idea of death is no longer a threat to those who have the hope of the resurrection. And now she's really standing on her, her principles. And she had much more in the way of strong principles compared to some of the other people she worked with, you know, and the way that she protected Omega early on, letting them get away, letting her leave. So there's definitely something there. And even just seeing her sitting there in the in the cell, it's like you think about other captured scientists in previous wars and, you know, their information could easily be taken and used against their people, which, you know, with her people have been destroyed, but against those that she cares about and the truth that she knows that, you know, this is a big mistake, the way the emperor wants to go with things. So it's interesting to see how she's put in that situation of, you know, do I comply or do I sit strong and protest? Yeah. I'm not going to go into politics here, but when you talk about politics, you know, and you have one issue and you have both sides, both of them see a higher good and they could be completely (laughs) at odds with each other. So it's kind of like, you know, her higher good is one way. The, you know, uh, Dr. Hemlock's is the other way. And they all see a higher good in that technology, but, you know, for completely different reasons. And it's, and like I said, and then today, you know, whatever topic you want to talk about in politics, it's so, it can be extreme on, you know, our people can see two different goods for the same thing or, the you know, so that's why, yeah. you know, I think they can both be yeah. pretty emphatic about their, <laughs> or strong about their opinions on it too. Yeah. And and uh, I'm not sure if this applies to Star Wars because I think we're all pretty clear that the Emperor's purposes are are straight up evil. Um, but it is, I mean, one of the things in you know whether it's, I mean, I I'm in conversation with like other Christians online and you know Protestants and Orthodox and so on as well as Catholics. Um, and as you say, John, in the world of politics. Um, it's so easy to simply dismiss someone who disagrees with me as, you know, just evil and wrong um, and not recognize, Oh, they're looking for something good as well. And, and maybe I should at least try to understand what the good is that they're looking for. Well, I mean, and, and even with Andor and stuff like that, a lot of that, what the good people are looking for with the empire is they don't know, the emperor's motos, but they see peace and order, you know, as mm-hmm. kind of the higher good. And there's probably a lot of people, you know, that join the imperial side and the empire thinking this is what we're doing and these are the good causes. And then they mm-hmm. don't know the emperor's nefarious <laughs> uh, background of what he's intending to do. So, so you have a lot of good hearted people on one side that might, you know, just don't know too. Yeah. We also meet. Another character in this uh, sequence uh, named Emery Carr. I'm not sure her name was actually given in this episode, but she's listed in the credits. Um, This she seems to be Dr. Hemlock's assistant. Um, And you can tell her by her sort of red goggles. Um, And uh, I don't know what uh, I. I think I'll start with just John. What did you, like, did she strike you at all in any way? I don't remember too much. I mean, other than I did see, they did mention her first name is Emery, but they didn't, I don't think they said her last name is Carr. Because I, as I was taking my notes, I went back and put with the assistant. But, uh-huh. I mean, she just seemed like a typical assistant to me, like there to help them out and keep them up to date with, you know, all the things that were going on. Because she's the one that reported they lost contact with transport 904 and then um and then i guess she knew 
the other part with, you know, the prime minister being the other member of, of, uh, Topoka city being the, I always want to say tapioca instead of Topoka. <laughs> and, uh, but the, the, the prime minister was still one of the people that was, um, left over from the Kaminoan. So, yeah, I have to say, I, I didn't catch, um, on my first watch through, but watching through again, I like, I get definitely the feeling like she's not just there for, um, you know, standard assistant that she's probably going to have a role to play. Yeah. She comes across as someone who's doing her job, not fully invested in the ideas. Yeah. Any, anything more to say about, yeah, the, um, the Mount Tantus situation, whether the part at the beginning or the part at the end of the episode. Well, I love seeing Mount Tantus because of the Timothy Zahn books and all that was <laughs> happening in Mount Tantus. Um, I also found it interesting that Hemlock has a gloved left hand that he rubs repeatedly. And it made me think back to those books because of what was on Mount Tantus that was used against Luke Skywalker. And if you guys uh, want spoilers, I'll spoil those, you know, original trilogy books. But <laughs> well, the, these these are the the legends books. The legends now book, yes. that that are yeah, but that do seem to be taking more and more of a a an inspiring role for Filoni and and the the writers of the Star Wars series, right? Yeah. Let's just say Luke's left hand happens to be in Mount Tantus. <laughs> Dun dun dun! dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> the emperor and his trophies. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I don't know. I always wondered, you know, is did uh, Hemlock donate his left hand to the cause for an experiment? Don't know. I want well, some more on this man. Gotta know we, more. <laughs> we may, we may find out. Did he lose it as a, to a clone creature, <laughs> and then had there it you go. rebuilt, you know, or something? <laughs> Hopefully something beat it off. Yeah. <laughs> Intriguing. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. It all bears watching. Um, mm -hmm. There's you know. much more to this man. Well, let's move on to the, the main action of the episode then, which is um, all about uh, this cargo on, uh, on the uh, downed transport. And, Sid hears of it rather conveniently. Um, well, let's, yeah, let's talk about Sid for a bit because I I know uh, we've been talking about how the Bad Batch have been increasingly uncomfortable with their arrangement with Sid, and I think I I. I yeah, I did not go back and rewatch all of the episodes, so so Catherine, you can correct me on this. But I think this is the first time they explicitly talk about um breaking off from Sid. Well, because in the episode previous, she just left him stranded. Yeah, figure your way home. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what her goodwill looks like. Um <laughs> I love how all she does is cave on negotiations. <laughs> <laughs> and then a threat you know okay 50 percent. but don't forget i know who you are you know it's like yeah 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 she likes playing both sides of the game that's for sure well in watching it i mean uh, it seemed to me that the sid has become i mean earlier in the season um she seems to have been a more of a likable character and now she seems a harsher and then you know, less likable character. And I think in the past, the Bad Batch have talked about leaving her, but nothing in like, oh, this next one will be our last one. I mean, there was one of them, I guess, where the, maybe the reward was going to be so high, well, they could pay off their debts, but I don't think they were ready to move on and stuff. So I think, um, you know, you could tell they've had issues like, what should we do with our future? And then that's where, you know, um, Echo leaves for tech or uh, Rex mm -hmm. and stuff down the line. And so, I mean, they've had thoughts about it, but they've never said, hey, this will be our last one and then let's move on <laughs> kind of thing. 
I mean, so they seem like they're definitely ready to cut loose. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting how they're not, they seem like they're at the point where they're not willing to, you know, take any of her BS anymore. Um, but they're not quite at the point of like, you know, they, they, they do acknowledge that, you know, she's been there in a way for us and, and we do want to do this, you know, one last job. They're willing to do the one last job. Yeah. It's almost like they are recognizing that she's not entirely doing right by them but they are unwilling to not do right by her. Like they, they still want to hold on to the moral high ground in a, in a way. Well, part of it too, though, is she knows a lot about them. And that's what Tech says is like, well, you know, I think he's afraid that if, you know, they cut break loose without the right way, then, um, you know, then their information will be out there and cause them lots of trouble and stuff too. Yeah. And then, no, I, I have one question here, and I, I just thought of it as, you know, Omega's the one that was speaking, you know, emotionally about it, like, Sid, you're the one that left us, you know, that whole thing. And and so she was kind of, you know, while the, the, the guys were back there, is that because she's more of a, I mean, she's grown, but she's still a child, whereas the other guys... You know, she's like speaking for the <laughs> for what they feel, but they don't show the emotions because they're the soldiers kind of thing. You know, I mean, they'll show some emotion with it, but it just seemed to me a little bit that, you know, she's always the one, you know, especially when they get to the ship later on, too. It's like, come on, let's find the survivor. They're <laughs> Whereas they're just, you know, is that because more that even though they're, you know, siblings, is that more because I mean, the age difference and the fact that they're more soldier built and she's more. Um, I don't know, just typical child <laughs> grown. I don't know. She is perfectly 13 years old. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to say I've done the most of my work as a coach and teacher with that age group. And girls mm-hmm. at that age group have the ability to go completely innocent and completely adult in the same sentence. So she is exactly like I expect her to be. I've, you know, I've had kids where it's like, you know, they get super emotional about something and then. All of a sudden, they'll just have a deep, profound adult statement that you're like, yes, that's true. So it's it's mm-hmm. absolutely that age group girl. She is right in there. My favorite age group to work with, too, because <laughs> they also want to please. <laughs> They're at that age where they want to be adult accepted. So there's that that desire to please and to learn. And so, yeah, she fits all the marks for that age group for me. Yeah, and we had a nice little close up on on Hunter as he was like making the decision and we've talked a bit um this season about how they've done a lot of focus um character focus on others especially on Tech. Uh, and Hunter seems to have gotten into the background except I think they keep putting in these these quiet little moments with Hunter showing him sort of trying to weigh the decisions of leadership and trying to trying to be the responsible one for for the group and and I thought that was you know there's no dialogue it's just you know a close up on his face as he is weighing the decision and and well I wrote down he sighed it sounds like another quiet father figure good old saint joseph you don't have to say anything just do so, and, yeah, and during negotiations, it was really cute because, you know, Sid is gradually increasing 35%. That's what we already get. And then she says yeah. 40. <laughs> and as soon as she says 40, Wrecker is like, oh, yeah. And then he looks over at Hunter and sees that he's serious. And he goes, you know, tries to be all serious again. So it's yeah, just yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, I got to stay with the group on this one. So, yeah, it's just neat to to see that that quiet, strong father role that he's still providing for the group. Well, that he's trying to provide. I, I, I think he's really struggling, though. I and and I like that they show the struggle of doing that. And you were going to say something, John? Well, I was just saying what I wrote down at that point too. I said he sighed when he was asked about how hard could it be, you know, by Omega, and he just yeah, had a sigh. Yeah. And I, I, my note I thought about was he just seems older in that picture. You know, it's like he seems a little more weathered and 
like i mean granted they they age quicker too because of that you know but still it's you can tell like you were saying i think that he's been taking on more of a burden of being the the leader and trying to you know i think especially without echo there but, uh, as well because because you have tech who's all technical you have wrecker who's kind of childlike and then you have <laughs> you mm -hmm. know yeah he's the closest thing to a full adult there yeah. <laughs> So then, then they get into the real action, uh, and here's where those um, there's those horror vibes. I was definitely getting alien vibes myself when they get to the ship and start exploring. Of course, let's split up. What could possibly go wrong? And yeah, go to the shed where the you know, where the chainsaws are. Why not? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's let's restore the power to the ship. What could go wrong? <laughs> and like even the the introduction of the Zillow monster with the you know the dripping and the the first shot of its head and the character design is so much like the xenomorph from Aliens. <laughs> mm -hmm. And did anybody else watch it in surround sound? Uh, headphones. Oh, okay. Because I, I had it, um, we had to rewatch it again at night because with it being, you know, longer days now and it's being so dark. I was like, okay, we got to watch this again. Shut off all the lights. Had the surround <laughs> sound going and our two rear speakers are right behind the couch in the perfect way. So you hear those little like growls and drips and tings and oh man, in the dark, that was a lot scarier. <laughs> nice. Nice. Do you guys enjoy horror movies just generally? I can't watch horror movies. I am way too visual being an artist and uh -huh. images will stick in my head way too long. I watched one horror movie when I was a kid in school at a sleepover party. It was The Old Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, it's a classic. Ugh. Had nightmares for three weeks. Anytime our furnace kicked on at home. I would just be screaming. My stuffed animal laying next to me. I thought it was one of the pods. It was like, ah. So my mom's like, I don't think you can watch horror <laughs> movies. And I don't. Oh, Heck, I even had to watch Lord of the Rings with my eyes covered half the time the first time I saw it. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. I've never gotten into the horror movies, but I've gotten into sometimes like suspenseful movies, you know, like some like Alfred Hitchcock and those kind of things, you know, or like, but I've never gotten into the whole the horror genre I've I've only recently started to appreciate horror um and and I still don't like like the the 80s slasher movies and that sort of thing or the movies that are just running from a monster but um I've I've really begun to appreciate how horror can be an exploration of you know what is what is most important to people and um you know how how do we face the consequences of our actions and and you know how do we how do we um embody our relationship with good and evil um the good and evil in ourselves as well as what's out in the world um and and so yeah like talking about omega saying there could be survivors. Let's go looking for survivors. And um, Hunter, after after the, the Zillow creature escapes, um, you know, we set it. We let it out. We have to go take care of this before it hurts anyone else. Um, and and that that sense of like exploring the responsibility of you know what what you're doing and um who was it was it you Catherine who said you didn't really feel sympathy for the clone trooper because um for the the clone commando because like oh you figure he was up to no good in the first place and yeah, he and, was part of the problem <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> And like seeing again, like the the uncanny justice of of the monster you create coming back to 
destroy you. I know it's obviously this this episode didn't didn't go all the way there on its own. Um, certainly, it's the Empire that comes back and kind of takes final responsibility for the Zillow Beast, but. I I really want to see the Zillow Beast come back later, you know, like come back to bite the Empire. And uh, yeah, I went back and watched the Clone Wars episodes with the Zillow Beast when it was first introduced, mm-hmm. and that added so much to watching this. Yeah, because it was like you know I half thought that the Zillow Beast had survived, and I was like, okay, watching it again, I was like, no, they actually did kill it. And, you know, had that great Godzilla theme to it. And, you know, right down to the uh-huh. fact that, you know, here they're using this energy nuke, so to speak, to actually woke it up. Some people thought, oh, accident, coincident. Not with the Emperor. They've always said he's been two steps ahead of them the whole time. Mm-hmm. I swear he had them wait until the troops were in a certain spot. And he could set it up because he was working both sides of the fight anyway to, like... Let's wake up this beast because there have been all kinds of materials out there that do stop lightsabers. And I think he just needed some and wanted it for himself. Mm-hmm. So I found it interesting just to rewatch that, that and that original Zillow beast seemed, and my husband swears it was force aware. And I was like, I don't know. And then I read an article that said, most of the creatures that have the ability to block or shut off a lightsaber have some sense of the force that's a little stronger than other animals. Mm. And the way that that one um, had seen uh, Palpatine in a hollow saying, just kill it. We'll get the samples we need when it's dead. And the scientist at the time was like, "Uh, I think it understood what you said, so to speak. And (laughs) next thing you know, this thing's terrorizing Coruscant, sees a picture of Palpatine and destroys it and then looks ahead to where Palpatine is. And it's like, well, how did he know he was there? Did he just sense him? Did he smell him? I don't know. But he went right for him in those crazy glowing eyes. Mm, Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's quite a callback. As you say, the Emperor is always sort of two steps ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, So clearly... You know, sure, the samples we need, so not just the the uh, armor plating, but the um the uh, genetic samples for cloning, because he said he wanted a clone of it, and obviously he made one, yeah, so i I don't know i are there any other future uses that you think uh the emperor or the writers might use the uh the Zillow beast for? Well, they mentioned armor plating. Yeah. Yeah, that that that's, was all part of it. That's sort of the obvious. Yeah. The other interesting thing is the fact that it survives on energy. And there was, uh, I think in Screen Crush, they talked about um, being able to read the monitors with the information about the beast. Mm. And it said that uh, its lactic acid levels were zero on the screen. I'm like, going, okay, what does that going to mean? Was it in hibernation or because it feeds on energy and not, you know, like a sugar or something else that it never tires unless it's, you know, zapped by the energy ray or whatever that they use mm-hmm. from their ships. But it was like interesting. It's like, okay, does this thing have some sort of endurance level they were expecting? Or like they showed the smaller version of it as being the feeding stage. And then there's the adult stage. So it's like once it hits a certain level, does it not need to feed as much? We never saw the large Zillow beast feeding on energy the way the small one did. Except for like in this one, it was still growing because it didn't have its third hand. It had its third arm, but not its third hand yet. Uh, I was just going to say, I wasn't too sure about other than the armor plating part, (laughs) you know, what they could do. I mean, I guess the other option would be is if you (laughs) you just wanted to wipe out a a small area or something with it and you know here take out the power and then whatever but you know um i don't know it's just i mean other than keep other than keeping it for more you know cloning i guess to build to you know if they need all that armored plating or something i don't know well here's another thought 
if it can grow exponentially with energy, and we literally watched it triple in size in this one episode, mm-hmm. imagine taking the gene splicing and doing that with a human clone so that you can grow your clones exponentially with a little blast of energy. That would make for a very quick army. And a very powerful, very powerful one. Well, I guess here's what my question is. If it doesn't get energy, does it ever shrink in size again? I mean, is it always that size or, you know, it's kind of like because if, if you cut off its energy or whatever makes it grow to a certain point, you know, or does it just like die out or I don't know. I was just kind of curious, you know. Well, the one they originally found had been dormant so long that they thought it was extinct. Hmm. So I think like uh, like frogs in the desert. They're alive during the rainy season. They bury themselves in the sand and they can live for several years without anything in this dormant state until it rains again. So maybe the Zillow Beast is like that. Yeah, and it seems to have been mostly dormant when the ship's power was off. Like it it really came back when they turned the power on and, and it had something to feed on, but... It's really crazy to notice, but it was really cute to say this about a beast. I don't know, but it had baby teeth when it was little on the ship. I don't know if anyone noticed that, but its teeth were like really tiny, kind of sticking out of the gums. And then as it gets bigger, the Zillow beast has rows of teeth like a shark. So I thought it was kind of interesting that they show the baby version of it with little baby teeth. I mean, cute in a deadly, you know. (laughs) monstrous sort of way yeah 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 Yeah. i know and then and then uh well anything else to say about the the zilla beast or that that whole sequence of i mean we see we see i guess you know we see the bad batch take off we don't know where they're going to they just shoot off into hyperspace and we stay with the imperials who are taking the villagers captive because um as we later find out uh, the uh, Dr. Hemlock does not want any witnesses to the Zillow Beast. One thing, going back um, before they took off, uh, just a couple of things. One was seeing <laughs> the shock on uh, Omega's face when Tech said, yeah, they pr- the Beast probably ate the crew. Oh, and, gosh, yes. And then she goes, it ate the crew. And then Wrecker's like, how is that helping Tech? Yes. You know, and stuff, but it was just that, but that kind of, but like, then that's, they ate, they ate the crew, <laughs> but, but that shows her innocence and stuff of, of being the 13 year old child versus the, the, you know, the adult that she can be then in other scenes, you know, and cause mm-hmm. that you really notice that really impacted her. And then, um, what was it? There was something. But, oh, and then the fact that Tech ended up getting all that data, too, you know, or at mm-hmm. least most of it. So he downloaded a ton of that information. We don't know if he did get everything before that ship got blown up by the Empire. But um, but he was there making sure he was he was busily da- downloading stuff before they on his data pad before they uh, ran out of there. So, you know, how much information mm-hmm. did he get and what is all that information? <laughs> you know, it's like mm-hmm. and that's. You know, it was pretty interesting, too. It's like. It's enough that they do want to send it to Echo and Rex. And that's that's kind of significant itself. I mean, they never really say why Echo joined Rex and the others didn't. But it's it's kind of the it kind of seems that, you know, Echo sees this is a fight I have to fight, and the others are saying we don't want to be involved in the fight. Yeah, Echo, I think, has more of a history with the other brothers that he's trying to save. Oh, certainly. He gets it more where, um, I think especially for Hunter, they feel like their job is to protect Omega. So I don't think they're ready to be in a fight yet. And yet by sending this data to Echo and Rex, it almost felt to me like a well it's time to join the fight um like almost like like it's a step in that direction at least like being an informer instead of an actual soldier 
in the in the fight. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and is there getting more information though about <laughs> what? Um. Well, about the cloning and what's you know putting things bits and pieces together about the empire. You know, then they see how dangerous it is, or it begins to see more just how dangerous it is and and uh maybe what they you know what the emperor has in plans or so it makes it more we just can't sit back and do what we thought we did or could do we have to go out mm-hmm. and do more and you know because somebody's got to do something yeah, i think the strongest statement they made was about the uh that they're shutting down the cloning not because they want to stop cloning but because they want to control it that was yes. probably one of the biggest statements that I think they got out of seeing the information and knowing when it all began, that it was still why the Clone Wars were happening. To see that, yeah, Palpatine was playing the game all along. I wonder if we're ever going to get more insight into um, Sifo-Dyas and how and why the cloning operation got started in the first place. The clone army um, was started in the first place because it's just kind of a throwaway line um, in the movies. And uh, it's mentioned a couple times in the other uh, series. But yeah, I've never really understood the, the justification that Sifo-Dyas seems to have had for ordering a clone army, which must have been a huge budgetary drain on somebody. Um, <laughs> I think there was a Clone Wars episode about finding him. I'd have to go back and look that up. Maybe. I He, he was pretty definitively shown to be dead, though. And I think that's why it was, yeah. They thought he was dead. They somehow they had found his ship and then mm. realized that he was still alive. And I don't remember what season that was in. Yeah, I'd well, have to look that one up. We'd have to look that one up. Yeah. Yeah, but you you wonder if the whole clone army is just a distraction from the Emperor's desire to clone himself. And it's interesting too with the way, you know. <laughs> Even, you know, whether you're in the Mandalorian universe, which is years later, or you're in this universe, you know, how it all comes back to the Emperor and his want need to clone, or, you know, it's like, or, and it's, I don't know, it's just interesting to see how they were trying to tie that in, I think, together with both of those uh, series running side by side, too. I mean, bringing up the questions of the cloning and, and the emperor with the control or the empire. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, you know, the, the, the real evil of cloning in the star Wars context seems to be that, um, that attempt to like completely control. Uh, how do I put this? I, uh, I know it's 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 like m- making a connection for me with with our our Catholic understanding of the body as um you know the body is is the expression of the soul and that the body is God's gift and it is a good thing and that by getting into cloning and wanting to clone himself and uh, and or create a clone army and or um, whatever else he's doing in terms of cloning. Um, the emperor is trying to assert absolute control over the body, um, and, and turn the body into a a tool or an object to be used for power rather than a gift to be received and, and, um, celebrated and expressed. And, that that yeah it's again it's it, i i don't know how explicitly star wars is intending to like touch on that um understanding of of the human condition but 
don't know. It's setting off connections in my own brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I sometimes. Say, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say with the cloning, though. Um, I don't know if so much in this ep- or this series, but the Mandalorian too. They do talk about like uh, the amount of times over and over and over they have to do stuff and. And it's like just a throwaway of, okay, if we did this, oh, didn't work, try this. It didn't work. It didn't, you know, and, you know, you get the feeling that um, there are certain characters, you know, <laughs> I don't think like that way of, okay, we'll just keep testing and hope it works. Or, mm-hmm. okay, let's test this and, and do it that way. Whereas then other characters are more concerned about, you know, maybe trying to do it, the, you know, a way in which you know, less loss of life or, I don't know, something along those lines. And I say, uh, Nala say, as far as her cloning projects, she's the only one who intentionally made unique clones when she made the Bad Batch and Omega. Yeah, that, that we know of, yeah. Yeah, so they have a, you know, a unique, they have unique personalities, unique traits. So she was letting the the uniqueness of the individual shined forth rather than cookie cutter throwaway. So what do you think Omega's uniqueness is? Um, I mean, this idea that Omega is the key to controlling Nalase. Obviously, Nalase cares about Omega, Mm -hmm. but um, I mean, there's, kind of been the implication right right from the beginning of the series that there is something particularly special about Omega. Um, and some have speculated, you know, oh, she's force sensitive or or um, that she has some other gift or power or something like that. Um, the obvious is she's a woman. <laughs> she's She's a girl. <laughs> I mean, that's like... The one thing that makes her unique from her brothers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. just, you know, the whole different uh, feminine genius perspective there. So, I like that. Um, just to get a different take on, on the world, a different viewpoint mm-hmm. as far as the clone world goes. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I haven't watched, um, like, the Clone War stuff yet. Uh, the series, anyways. And but from what I've seen with the Bad Bash and, and Nala say is I've always kind of thought, you know, she she had that special connection with with her kind of like a mother in a sense and daughter. And that's kind of why I think, you know, if you put her in, you know, it's one thing to say. <laughs> and, you know, I only, you know, we have I have one daughter who's 12, almost 13. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, but, you know, it's like it's one thing when I look at my life and I say, oh, I can handle this, I can do this, and it's not as big a deal to me, I know I can deal with it. But then when you think about how it impacts your daughter, then it's, okay, I got to do something more, or, you know, that's where then the protection and more so, and and I can find more concern and stuff like that. And it's kind of, <laughs> I can, you know, it's one thing, then when I start looking, or then I see a much bigger impact of certain things. and. You know, uh, and that, I mean, that's always made it, <laughs> I'm like, I know I can handle it for myself, but, you know, with my daughter, I got to, you know, you want to be protective, but then you also want to build the skills that she needs then to be able to deal with the things too and stuff. And and that's where I've, you know, found it. And I think that's what Nala say. It's like, she can deal with being imprisoned and maybe what they throw at her, but then if they start hurting or doing something with Omega... Well, then that's a ratcheted up to a whole different level. And Although, as, as Catherine was saying, you know, the Bad Batch are her children in kind of a similar way that Omega is, but she she has a care for Omega that she doesn't seem to have for the others. And um, I don't know, maybe this is a, this is a sort of a, you know, the, the you know Joseph is the child of my old age kind of you know my 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 youngest is is my favorite um kind she of did let her feel. grow naturally so she would have had to have had touch that, time with omega that's mm-hmm. that's right because omega is technically older than the bad batch isn't yeah, she yeah she's a year older than them like like chronologically she's older yeah 
So, but I'd yeah, forgotten so, that. Good, good, good point. Yeah. So Nalase would have been holding her as an infant and feeding her and caring for her in a way that she did not do with the Bad Batch. The Bad Batch was just, you know, in a tube for so long and then in the program for so long and their own special training. But it's definitely a different feeling when you have someone that you're holding and caring for and nurturing. Yeah. And if yeah. Raising. It, well, yeah, because they were raised as soldiers and she probably had more of your traditional, well, I guess what you could, Kaminoan traditional raising of growing up, <laughs> and though. They used but, to dress alike. That was so cute. <laughs> yeah. It's true. So, but I mean, that was, so I could see a difference. Well, a lot of differences there, I guess. But even though they're all related, the special connection that Nalase has. Well, let us, let us hope we get to see that uh that relationship um developed and paid off as as the series continues any other final thoughts on this episode i mean well one thing you know i i kind of always wonder is like do you know and and i think you well you have it too or we or mentioned it is the whole do the imperials know that the bad batch is alive you know, because every time they talk about an Imperial shuttle came in and left, it's like, well, who else could it be? You know, it's like, I mean, it's just kind of, you know, and and who was it? And I thought in some prior episodes recently, too, they're, you know, oh, yeah, if um, tech, no, not tech, if um, who's the one that's with the Imperials right now? Oh, Echo? No. Or, or Crosshair. Uh, Crosshair. And if Crosshair yeah. could have survived what happened on the city then you know of course then they could have survived too and you know but it just seems like at least my initial in person uh interpretation of the way dr hemlock looked at it was like he didn't think much of okay there was a shuttle that got away oh okay well we'll see if we can find it kind of thing but we got every all the villagers and we took care of the beast and da 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 but I, I mean, the official report in the Empire is that the Bad Batch were killed and Crosshair has uh, supported the official story. And anything else with the official story was buried in a previous episode. Yeah. When they got rid of yeah. the, what was his name? Rampart. Yeah, yeah, Admiral Rampart. When they got rid of him. So that kind of, you know, added to the cover up. So. Not too many people on Coruscant would be digging for information necessarily. Mm -hmm. Although it wouldn't surprise me if Palpatine himself was aware or, or had access to that knowledge anyway. Many possibilities. Oh, yeah. The, this this uh, episode definitely felt like it ramped us back into a, a season wide plot arc you know where the the bad batch is moving forward in in kind of a bigger story and so i'm excited to see where that goes yeah we left the western and back into space yep <laughs> <laughs> well thank you too and um should also take a moment to thank the patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Wars uh this week we'd like to especially thank uh, Alexander S Thomas H, Jesse G, Daniel Z, and Roberto B. Uh, their generous donations make it possible for us to continue this podcast and all of the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Um, you can also follow us, uh, subscribe to our podcast on any podcast platform of your choice. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio. And you can also check out our SQPN YouTube channel. Um, you'll find previous episodes of Secrets of Star Wars and all of our other shows um, at sqpn.com. And for Star Wars, it's sqpn.com slash Star Wars. Uh, send us feedback by emailing us at starwars at sqpn.com. And you can follow us on most social media. Uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash starquestmedia. 
We're on Twitter at SQPN. And uh, maybe the most interesting place, we have a really active Discord community. So uh, if you go to our website, sqpn.com slash Discord, you can get an invite link there. Looking forward to seeing you or talking with you next week uh, when we get on to the next episode of The Bad Batch. Um, Like I said, The Bad Batch is moving forward and having seen the rest of the season, it really keeps going. So I can't wait to hear what next week's podcast talks about. Um, Till then, John, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Wars. Thank you. It was fun. And Catherine, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm enjoying this. And once again, I have been Robert King. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, The Catholics of Oz. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash oz.